back to Mortgage Genomics Canada. I'm your host, Marco Gello. I'm a duly licensed mortgage broker in Alberta and BC. If you are from either of these provinces and require any mortgage-related services, please do not hesitate to contact me. Call or text me right now at 604-800-9593. 604-800-9593. This podcast is based on a weekly newsletter that I send out to mainly real estate professionals, accountants, lawyers, and other centers of influence. The newsletter is called the Mortgage Broker Playbook for Real Estate Professionals. And if you want in on the newsletter, simply send me a text or an email and I'll put you on the newsletter list. But if you need a mortgage right now or in the near future, who gives a crap about the newsletter and connect with me immediately? Text or email me right now, 604-800-9593. One application, one credit check, and access to Canada's top lenders. All right. Um, it's that time of year where you're receiving annual statements, right? So you've probably received them already, like a mortgage, for sure, the annual mortgage statement. And um, when you get that one, right, you kind of look, you're probably looking at that and you're like, oh, five years, that's it? That's all I paid? But for some, that's not the case, right? So some, some people are like, oh, wow, love it. That's that, that, you know, I feel like I put a nice dent. But regardless... Um, this is also a good opportunity, you know, perspective where you could be like, huh, can I maybe afford an extra $200 a month, you know, up my mortgage payment a little bit. And, um, anyhow, you know, for some consider that, uh, another annual statement that comes out that I really look forward to is, is my investment statement. And, um, this is, this is my point with this one. I just wanted, you know, a nice little, a nice little reminder, um, get, you know, set up a plan for yourself. Um, I, I look at hundreds, thousands of mortgage applications on an annual basis. And uh, it, it's, it's always great to see when we're doing the net worth part of the application. Um, you know, someone that's been committed to a plan, and uh, it's incredible. And, and I've had customers that I've been in this business now 17 years. So if, if I go back to my very first customer and I still do business with them, believe it or not, like that's, that's part of being a mortgage broker. Um, and I look back to their first application and, and then I look back at the most recent deal that we've done with them. And it's, uh, it's incredible. Some, some of the applicants and the plans that they made for themselves um, and, and very diversified too. So just, super awesome. And I encourage everyone to look into that for themselves. And you know, this is where you have to, I wouldn't say come out of your comfort zone. This is just like work. It's extra work, like get in touch with your financial advisor. If you don't have one, find one. Um, if you don't know where to find one, ask a, a friend, family member, who do you use? You know, like that silly quest trade, like crap like that. Just find out, you'll find out who the guy is in your neighborhood and sit down and start a plan. And uh, it's as simple as that. So, yeah, I really look forward to this time of year because I can look at my net worth. And um, it's, a, it's a good habit to get into. And I'll share with you one of the strategies that I do. Like, uh, I mean, you'd think uh, being a mortgage broker, being in this, this business, this industry, that I probably have like, you know, a, a rental property and all of my, my investment strategies focused around real estate. That's not true. Not true at all. Um, I have owned rental properties in the past. I don't currently have one right now. Um, but yeah, I would love to to get back in the game and, and own a rental property or two. Who knows what the future holds here? Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll go that direction and diversify a bit. 
But for whatever reason, I just don't. And, and the reason, well, actually the reason, it's very capital intensive. And uh, I'm not prepared to, to part with what I have right now to get into that market. But like I said, it is a very high return market. I, I love real estate investing and I encourage everyone to do it. But it's not for everyone. Okay, and if you if you're in the same boat and you're like, you know what, I I can't own a, another property, well, what can I do? There's a ton of things you can do, and the the first thing that comes to mind is a, a little strategy. It's called the dollar cost average. Uh, it's a, it's a method. It's not a strategy. Just a method of investing, and basically what it is. Um, let's say, for example, four hundred dollars a month. You're packing away. Let's say into an RSP or or whatever your investment of choice. Uh, with dollar cost averaging, it's the frequency. So on the first of the month, $400 gets packed away into that RSP, regardless of the market conditions or trends. And uh, and that's what dollar cost averaging is. So it eliminates the emotion um, of of buying, you know, the, the emotional decision, should I buy now or should I time the markets? It's like, boom, set it up on the first of the month and over time, you're buying when it's low. You may sometimes buy when it's high, but over time, the the long term average uh, apparently works in your favor. And I can tell you from experience, it does. And um, you know, I, I've been in that industry before, and and it's a great strategy, great way to go about it. Um, but what I do, I, I do that. But in addition to that, I kind of take it one step further. So instead of packing four hundred dollars a month, let's say I'm using the number four hundred dollars. Uh, instead of packing that away into the particular portfolio, you know, whatever, um, I, I put it into an investment loan. So for $400, I can get a $100,000 investment loan. Okay, so right away, I'll, I'll put that $100,000 into a nice balanced or a moderate growth investment portfolio. Okay, that's what I'm doing. Like I, I wouldn't, me personally, I'm not taking that $100,000 in buying a stock. No, thank you. I, I want to be able to sleep at night. So I'll take that 100 and I'll put it into a nice balanced portfolio. Uh, I'm 47. I'm going to be 48 years old. I have a family. I don't want like, forget it. I'm not, you know, I'm not shooting for the stars here. I'm not going to gamble. Put it in a nice boring portfolio. And uh, that works for me. That's that's part of my overall investment strategy. So instead of paying $400 a month into the singular stock or the investment, I'm paying to service the $100,000 investment loan, which because I'm not investing it in an RSP, the payments on that $100,000 investment loan now, the $400, are tax deductible. So really, I'm not paying $400 a month for that $100,000. When you factor in the tax deduction, I'll just be very general here. Let's say it's down to $250 net is what I actually pay for that loan. Now we're talking, right? So I've got $100,000 working for me in a nice balanced market, um, and I'm paying $250 a month for that. Fantastic. And over the last five years, that's worked incredibly for me. Uh, the, The numbers are incredible. And I have the portfolio here in front of me. And um, here's what the returns are year to date. So that $100,000 loan, I put it into a portfolio. And this is like a standard portfolio. You can find this one with any big time investment company out there. The one that I happen to use is a Manulife. They they just did whatever. Some reason, my financial advisor is like, hey, Marco, here you go. Here are the documents sign here. It said Manulife. I don't care. So within that, the $100,000, uh, 
I have, uh, what is it here? It's Manulife U.S. Equity. Okay, so I have um, 23.5% in the U.S. equity, 31.8% in the Canadian equity funds, 19.3% balance funds, and 25.4% global equity funds. So because of the word equity, it's a little bit, it's not like an ultra-conservative portfolio. This is more like a growth portfolio. It's not an aggressive growth, but it's growth. And here we are over five years. Here's my year to date, and I just got the statement on the U.S. equity, my five-year average is 12.09%. The global dividend average year-to-date, 2.57%. I don't have a lot of money in there. The dividend income is 20.55%. Wow, killer. That one, 20.55% over five years. Uh, The U.S. monthly high income, 14.73%. And over the, the life of the term now, it's been five years, my overall average rate of return, 12.45%. It's great. Two things here while I'm editing this. I noticed uh, the actual balance. So 12.45% year to date and uh, five years, $100,000 investment loan. My current balance is 159587 So yeah, these things are awesome. I love it. Um, and disclaimer here, of course, I am not a financial planner. Don't act on this. I'm just giving people ideas here, inspiring people to uh, set up their own plan. Follow up with your own financial planner and and start the process for yourself. And, and yeah, if this is something you're interested in, then go for it. But um, get in touch with the financial planner. There's This is a portfolio and there's professional money managers that are handling this portfolio. It's not me second guessing and stressing out like which stock should I buy or whatever. So anyhow, that's my two cents on uh, on investing, you know, and, and it, it's just I, I wanted to talk about this because I've had this conversation the past couple of weeks. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the COVID. Um, a lot of people have been staying at home, working from home and perhaps saving some money and, and starting to think about, you know, let's let's start, you know. Let's start doing some sort of investment strategy. And maybe that's the the one tiny little silver lining out of all of this is that I think the during the COVID break, people had some time maybe to sit down and, and look at their finances and maybe save some money. And even if you didn't save some money, start creating that habit of, of investing. And don't be scared of the word investing. Investing doesn't mean risk. Um, it's a very smart thing to do. Um, so look into that, you know, get in touch with a financial planner in your neighborhood. Uh, if you don't know of one, search for one. If, if you still can't find one, ask people who they're using. Ask your good friends, your, your network of, of your tight community who they're using, and eventually you'll find a, a financial planner. Um, if you are in Vancouver or Calgary, yeah, reach out to me. I can recommend a few um, to you for sure. Absolutely. But um, anyhow, that that's just uh, that's it. Kind of a public service notice right there. You know, let's start those investment plans. And and um, of course, that you could uh, real estate has always been number one on my list. But like I said earlier on, it, it's not for everyone. And, and I believe every everyone should be doing something right. So so I encourage you do what you can. And uh, where the mortgage comes in, a lot a lot of this opportunity or, or this start could kind of at times be triggered with a mortgage refinance because the mortgage refinance is kind of like the reset switch. 
right? So we do a lot of deals where, you know, the monthly cash flow for a family, let's say it's like, you know, four or $5,000 a month. They're paying credit cards, car loans, lines of credits, everything. We do the refinance. We press the big reset switch and we get that $4,000 payment down to 1800 right? That kind of stuff. That happens with the refinance. So the next step is to not just enjoy that savings and go blow it and, you know, start planning your next vacation. That is the time to perhaps start a new habit, right? And you've saved all this money doing the refinance. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's allocate $500 a month. Let's get into some good debt, some good monthly obligation debt. So, you know, it, it's, it's an opportunity with the refinance, the, the big massive reset, boom, that's a great time to start investment. All right. So, um, yeah, call me anytime about that or, or anything. Of course, it's not, it is mortgage related, but I mean, give me a call anytime and, and I could, um, we can discuss that in greater detail. Let's move on here. Um, as far as interest rates go, we went up the past week and a half or so. Um, I talked about that in the last episode. So it seems to have um, plateaued right now. So I checked the bond yields this morning and it's at the same level. It's been there for about five days right now. So there's no upward activity in the bond yields, which is good because that correlates directly to increasing interest rates. Okay. So at the moment, everything seems uh, pretty, pretty good, but we are definitely, we're like 40 or 50 basis points higher than we were a week and a half ago. So the new normal right now um, is about 1.79 to 2.24%, depending on the loan-to-value ratio of your property. So um, we're no longer at that 1.49% for a five-year fixed. Um, to clarify further on that range, 1.79 to 2.24. Uh, so what that is, first of all, I'm quoting for a five-year fixed and the 1.79 range being a high ratio. So that means if it's a CMHC insured um, or SAGEN, CMHC, SAGEN, or Canada Guarantee, those are the three insurers in Canada. So if you put less than 20% down payment, you're looking at those low rates of 1.79%. Um, as soon as you start hovering uh, in the higher loan-to-value ranges, so that's 20% down payment or more, um, then you're approaching interest rates uh, as high as 2.24% for a five-year fixed. Variable rate, however, um, has decreased. Okay, so the spread between the five-year fixed and the variable rate mortgage is, is getting bigger and it's becoming a topic of discussion. So, you know, big decisions right now, do I do fixed or variable. So a lot of conversations surrounding that. What we're doing for a lot of clients right now is we are reserving, we're putting a rate hold on the five-year fixed. And then as they approach the closing date of, of their uh, purchase or their refinance, whatever it is, uh, maybe about three weeks before the closing date, we'll have the conversations like, okay, what do you, how do you feel? You want to stick with the fixed or do you want to jump into variable? And also important worth noting um, is that when you are in the variable, you could at any time lock into a fixed. So for those variable rate holders out there, yeah, you should be listening to the radio, tuning into the podcast, and just be aware. Like, I mean, if fixed rates do continue to climb and, and get at an undesirable range, just keep your, uh, keep your ear to the ground. And um, you may want to maybe lock in at one point. So a lot of uh, activity 
going on right now in general. Just a ton of activity and just critical. The, the more information that you know, the better it will serve you and um, save you potentially thousands, thousands of dollars. The next scheduled rate announcement for variable rate mortgages is Wednesday, March the 10th. So we'll be, um, we'll be looking out for that announcement and I'll talk about that, uh, I think, on the next podcast. Yeah, so that, that should be perfect timing. Okay, so let's begin and discuss this week's newsletter titled Mortgage Income Qualification Sources You Probably Weren't Aware Of. Okay, little longer intro than usual. So um, I spent a little more time there talking about uh, investment strategies and um, a comment there as well on the interest rate. But uh, I'm going to be more brief with, with this part here. So I wanted to talk about some of the other less talked about forms of qualifying income. So the most common types of income when qualifying for a mortgage are variations of salaried or hourly and self-employed type of income. So that's what we see most of the time, and, and even commissions, when you blend in some commissions in there. Uh, but what about other sources of income? There are plenty of them, okay? So um, here's a list of some other less talked about forms of qualifying income. Number one, part-time income. So as long as the income is guaranteed, okay, you could use 100% of the income as stated in the employment letter and or the recent pay stub. A minimum tenure is not required as long as the probationary period has been fulfilled, if this is even applicable. Okay, so part-time income, you can use it as long as it's a guaranteed um, structure. So, you know, it could be like, Samantha earns $25 an hour and is guaranteed a minimum 20 hours per week, and her status is permanent. Okay, so that is the type of income um, we can use right away. And it doesn't matter. Even if you just got hired, you've been on the job for only a month. We can use 100% of it as long as there's not a probationary period. Fluctuating irregular income um, or non-guaranteed part-time seasonal income. Now, qualifying income is determined by calculating a two-year average from any one or combination of the following. So that could be notice of assessments, your year-end pay stub, uh, or your T4. And in addition, one or a combination of the following will also be required. And that could be uh, an employment letter, uh, direct deposit history of your bank statements, just showing the deposits of of income, uh, or a recent pay stub. And if there is a variation from year to year, which is greater than 20%, then the lower of the last two years is used as qualifying income. Okay, so however, exceptions are always possible on a case-by-case basis, of course. Okay, so that's fluctuating regular income. So that that could be if you're part-time, but you're not guaranteed. So, you know, this is the one where it's like, you know, there's no guaranteed amount of hours. You get your schedule, you know, on a a bi-weekly basis. You go into work and it's like, okay, here's Johnny. He's going to work like 13 hours next week. So it's fluctuating like that. We need a two-year average. So if you just started a job and you're part-time and it's fluctuating, unfortunately, can't use that income because you don't have two years. Pension, disability income, or pension or disability income. 
uh, almost all forms of pension and disability income can be used as qualifying income. So regardless of whether it's public or government issued uh, or from an insurance company or previous employer. And same type of uh, documentation requirements as I just spoke about in the uh, fluctuating irregular income section. Okay, so basically uh, a two-year average is required. But of course, there's always exception depending on how good your documentation is. So if you just started uh, pension or disability, as long as you can provide some solid document verification um, that really outlines the, the duration of you receiving that income, yeah, you could, you could, it could be sooner than two years. Spousal or child support. Um, for this pretty cut and dry, a uh, two-month history of bank statements showing regular support payments and, uh, of course, a copy of the formal separation agreement uh, or court order. So this could typically end up being the holdup of, of getting this type of income approved. So if you're in the process of getting divorced, separated, um, not ha- like that, th- that separation agreement is critical. And, you know, everyone who's, who's been through a divorce, what I've experienced through doing, uh, you know, probably hundreds of divorce applications is the, uh, the time frame that the separation agreement gets completed isn't always what the applicant expects. So, uh, like I said, that's the kicker. You know, we need the separation agreement and it has to be signed by both parties before we can use the spousal or child support. Maternity paternity or adoption leave. Um, yeah, so, you know, if, if you are pregnant and you're currently employed and you are now on maternity leave, yeah, we could use your income, 100% of it. So an employment letter is required to confirm that the applicant is currently employed and on leave. So we call it the return to work letter. As long as we have a return to work letter, um, we can use up to 100% of the income Um, to qualify. Some lenders may require that the return to employment be within 12 months. Okay, some, not all. And if so, these particular lenders, they they will not decline it outright, but they will probably reduce the allowable qualifying income. So instead of using 100% of your income, they may use 50%. Okay, so just be aware of that. Investment income. A two-year history of investment statements is required to show the customer has sufficient invested assets to support the indicated income. So this has to be common sense. Um, and this is, always a, this is always a tough one because, I mean, if you're looking, if we're using $30,000 a year, if you've been drawing from your RSPs uh, $30,000 for two years, the lender is going to have a look at that portfolio. You're going to have to provide the portfolio. And if there's only $30,000 left in that investment, you're likely, they're likely not going to allow you to use that income because typically they're going to want to see that that portfolio can service another at least five years at $30,000 per year. Okay, so just be aware of that. Government, child care, and social assistance benefit, particularly Canada Child Benefit. The amount used cannot be more than 15% of all the other income sources for the applicants, okay? Um, so basically, if, if you earn, let's say, round numbers, $100,000 per year, the child benefits 
that we're going to use for qualifying income cannot exceed $15,000 per year. Okay. The child cannot be older than 13 years of age. This is for the, um, the Canada Child Benefit. Child tax credits or refundable tax credits for child care are not acceptable forms of qualifying income. Non-Canadian currency income. Other than Canadians earning U.S. income, uh, exception approval is required for other non-Canadian currencies. So uh, as long as, like I mean, other than the U.S., if you are generating income from other places in the world, uh, it's not cut and dry. Okay, so just expect uh, many documents, a lot of questions to get that sort of deal approved or that kind of income approved. And likely it could be a lower loan to value ratio for your overall mortgage. So not outside entirely of the the realm of accepting this income, just a little bit more paper and uh, questioning required for that. Non-taxable income. Most common types are workers' compensation, guaranteed income supplement, and some forms of disability income. Um, And if it's less than $30,000 as it's non-taxable, many lenders will allow you to gross up that income, that qualifying income. They'll allow you to gross it up by 25%. If it's greater than $30,000 annual non-taxable income, they'll allow you to gross up even more, uh, as high as 35%. So that that could be a difference maker for many people there. be aware, the Canada Pension Plan and Old Age Security are taxable income sources. Okay, so they're not non-tax. You can't gross those up. Northern Allowance Income. Applicants that receive a Northern Allowance Income from their employer to assist with high cost of living in Northern or isolated areas. Okay, so yeah, I see a lot of this in uh, Alberta applications in Northern BC. Uh, you know, people working up North and they get a, a kind of like a car allowance, except a car allowance, it's a northern allowance. So it's a cost of living adjustment kind of a little bonus, I guess, right? Multiple sources of income, totally acceptable as long as standard verification documents can be provided. Yeah, so you could, you could have two, three jobs, non-issue at all. Um, But yeah, you just got to make sure you have the paper for all of them. Okay, that's all I got for today. Call or text me anytime if you have any mortgage questions at all, especially if you are in British Columbia or Alberta, as I'm licensed to service these specific provinces, and especially if you are from Vancouver or Calgary, as I'm very familiar with these markets. Call or text me at 604-800-9593, or you can visit my website at homefinancingsolutions.ca. Thank you again for tuning into Mortgage Genomics Canada. Stay well, everyone. Talk again soon.